Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch -ch -chumba. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, forward, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With experience as a public speaker, author, preacher, history professor, college dean, and faculty president, Dr. Tim Holder knows a little something about leadership. As Christians, we're called to be leaders. Let's talk about what that looks like. You're listening to The Leading Edge with Dr. Tim Holder. Welcome Knoxville, Tennessee. Welcome Sevierville, Tennessee. And welcome to listeners in Beckley, West Virginia and from all of those service areas. Hello anywhere in the world if you're listening online or via podcast. And if you want to catch an episode of this show or like if you catch part of this one and you think, oh, I want to go back and listen to the rest of that later, you can get this wherever you get your podcasts. Just look up The Leading Edge with Dr. Tim Holder and you will be able to listen to this and any of the other interviews we've done. This is, I believe, interview number 61 that we're looking at today. And we're providing this broadcast thanks to the generous support of Concord Christian School a Christian school in Farragut, Tennessee. And my guest today is going to be Dr. Mark Hussung. He is a doctor of music. Um, he's a Carson Newman prof professor, and I'm excited to have him on the show for several reasons. One, as I said, he's a Carson Newman professor, and I certainly support Christian academics. Uh, I went to Asbury University. I also went to Carson Newman, and I work for one of the hats that I wear is I'm an adjunct professor. I teach a little history for Liberty University. So I'm a big believer in Christian colleges, and so it's cool for me to have a guest from a Christian college. Also, as I think I mentioned, or perhaps I didn't, um, one of the things that Mark does is he's a minister of music, and he has been for many years, and I love music, and I love ministry, and so I'm excited to have him on here for that reason. And also, I'm glad to have him in after our break here, because he's a friend of mine, and I want to talk to him a little bit about the nature of friendship. We live in a world where people are increasingly isolated. We get so much online. It's, it's kind of uh, ironic that we 
can be connected with just about anyone anywhere in the world. We've got access to so much stuff and so many people. And so in a way, we're more connected than we've ever been. But in another way, we're more isolated than we've ever been. Um, many people have stopped going to church because they can just consume a service online. Many people have stopped going to movie theaters because they can watch their movies online. They can stream a movie. They can meet someone online um, and, and, you know, form a, a romantic attachment online. And uh, some people through computer games and online gaming uh, create connections with other people that way. And so, you know, you can have a bit of a connection that way, but for many people, it leads to them actually being more and more isolated. And so Mark is a guy who I think is a good guy at cultivating friendships. And so I want to talk to him just briefly about that in our time together. I like having Mark on here because I like having smart people around me to talk to because I think it's good for me to talk to people who are smarter than me. I think as Christians, uh, information, truth, and all of that stuff is important and, you know, ideas. And I think that that occasionally is an end of the pool we should be swimming in. And, you know, speaking of information, I had a, an unusual interaction with someone this week online related to knowledge and truth, and I wanted to share that with you because I think I did some things right in my interaction with him, and I think I did one big thing wrong. So I want to walk us through all of that. So here's the deal. One of the things I do, other than being an adjunct professor and other than doing this radio show, is... I do pulpit supply preaching. I go into different churches where I am invited uh, and I preach. And so, you know, it certainly seems like a good idea to be invited before you would just show up and start preaching someplace. But I've, I preach different denominations and I'm okay with that because it's the same Bible and I have a very high view of scripture. And so if I were in your church, I would preach a biblically based message. And so I, I do that some, but more often than not, I'm sitting in a church listening to somebody else preach. And last Sunday, I was sitting in church, and the message was from one of Paul's letters, and so I've got my Bible open in front of me, and it was this study Bible, this apologetics Bible, and I read something in a footnote that I had never seen before. It said that as a Roman citizen, the Apostle Paul would have had three names, and Paul would have been his last name. I just thought that was interesting. I like new information. I like uh, information about my faith that, you know, is new to me. That was cool. And so I posted it online. And so somebody responded to my Facebook comment about Paul having three names with some information that was really unrelated, mostly, though part of his point was kind of related because it had to do with names in the Bible. And so he said that, the Bible in the English translation is inaccurate, and uh, the first thing he said was that the letter J did not exist until the year 1625, and so all the names in the Bible that start with J or have J in them uh, are inaccurate. And so he said, you know, you translate the Bible in English and you read it that way and you get a, quote, completely different story. And I thought, well, for someone to say basically that the English translation of the Bible is completely different from what was originally recorded, I, I mean, that's a, a, an interesting position for someone to take, um, you know, in response to something that I posted on Facebook. And sometimes when people say something that is contrary to what I believe, but they, they seem pretty passionate in their belief, 
I will just let that go. I mean, it's one thing if somebody asks me a question and they're seeking information or understanding, but I thought, well, he's obviously, he doesn't believe the way I do, but I don't have to get into an argument with someone on Facebook. You know, I can choose to not engage. But then I thought, you know, if I don't say anything, uh, he, he might not be open to having his mind changed, but somebody else might read this that's on my wall on Facebook and think, wow, Tim didn't respond to this. Maybe he doesn't have a response and so maybe this guy's onto something, and maybe the Bible is completely different. Um, the English translation of the Bible is completely different from the original language, and so what do you do with that? And so um, I responded to the guy and said, you know, a quick Google search shows that the letter J was actually around before 1625, but really, as far as names go, if you were to take my name and translate it into another language with a different alphabet, like let's say Russian, you would get a different spelling, but that wouldn't completely change my story. And it was kind of cool because somebody else uh, weighed in on the conversation and said, well, hey, I am Russian. And here's your name in Russian, Tim. It's something like Tomosha. I, I'm not sure the pronunciation there. But that was cool for me because I didn't know that and I like new information. But also, she kind of made my point. I mean, I could have said, hey, I don't have an S or an A in my name but that's how it's translated into another language. And it really doesn't completely change my story. And so what I think I did right in all of this, and so, you know, there was a little bit of back and forth more and other people weighed in. And eventually the guy um, got upset at something somebody else said and said, okay, I'm done with this. But what I felt like I got right was I went ahead and said, you know, I'm not accepting your position. I, I'm holding to the idea that the Bible is accurate. And I used information and logic instead of anger or condemnation. And uh, I didn't use scripture with him because his whole point was that the English scripture was unreliable, so that wouldn't have helped. Uh, I took some time. I didn't just pop off. So I think I got all that right. But here's the part that I, uh, I should have done differently. Even though I waited, I didn't pray for wisdom. I didn't pray for love. Uh, and I think that that was an opportunity lost. And so I think we should engage people when it comes to these issues, when people have questions or comments or disagreements about the faith, but we should pray for love for them and pray for wisdom for us that we can represent the gospel well. So that's what I learned. So speaking of smart people who talk about smart things, our guest will be Mark Hussung, and he'll be on right after the break. We're glad you're listening. We'll be right back. Welcome to the show, Mark Hussung, Dr. Mark Hussung. Hello. Hi, Tim. All right. So you are the department head of music at Carson Newman University and a longtime music minister. But I heard from one of my confidential sources that you uh, are at a different church than the one that I long associated you with. Where are you at now? Uh, I am at First Baptist Maryville right okay. now. Leading, I'm worship pastor for their classic service. Okay. Uh, all yeah. right. So, uh, any, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners by way of introduction? Well, I've been at Carson Newman for 30, this is year 31. Um, been a music prof for a lot of that time, ran the honors program here for 10 years. Uh, I took over as department chair in January of 20, just in time for the pandemic. <laughs> uh, and currently with that, I've been minister of music I was at Emanuel Baptist here in Jefferson City for 26 years, mm -hmm. uh, and then God told me I needed to, to move on, so I've been at uh, First Baptist Maryville since last 
January. So okay, so about a year. A year now. Yeah. All right. Okay. So you wear a lot of leadership hats. You're a college professor, a department head. You work in a church. And so you are in a leadership role as the boss of professionals. And you also work with students and you work with volunteers. And so you've got several different kinds of leadership relationships. So what would you say are like the the benefits or the challenges or the pros and cons of those different demographics? Uh, you know, they're really quite different. Uh, the Working with the faculty here is is probably the most traditional of those roles mm-hmm. in that I am the boss. Um, but also, uh, college faculty are wonderfully independent people. Yep. Uh, they, they have a lot of autonomy in their world, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to their classes and what they're going to teach and how they're going to do it. Uh, they They really... It's not at all like the business world where mm-hmm. the boss says, this is what you do, and everybody goes off and does it. You know, in the classroom, they have sort of complete control within certain confines, of course. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, so, but that's the most traditional of those roles. Um, and so, but it's also interesting because, at least at Carson Newman, we tend to hire or promote people who are faculty to become chairs of the department. Mm-hmm. So when that position comes open, so I was just a faculty colleague and friends with everybody here in the department when they asked me to become chair. And so then I'm chair, <laughs> right? And, and, you know, it's pretty simple working relationships in terms of boss and not because mm-hmm. people respect the fact that I'm chair and give leadership. It's a, the nature of a college faculty is you work hard towards um, – kind of consensus and getting people on board and you try to respect uh, people's thoughts and ideas, uh, especially because college professors have been trained to think. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a large part of what the training is. <laughs> and so you have these minds that are trained to analyze things, that are trained to think about things, that are trained to have new and creative ideas, and you try to respect that and, and get them all on board. Um, so that one's pretty pretty straightforward. I guess, you know, the con of all that is you get all these people who are trained to think and they have their own ideas. Independent-minded. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it reminds me of, I was in a work situation several years ago and the the leader of that organization, this was many years ago, was pretty autocratic. Like, okay, I've made this decision and now I'm going to impose it on all of you. And I was thinking the way you're presenting it, Mark, that, you know, you've got a whole bunch of people here who are professionals and they've been trained and they're independent thinkers all day long. And maybe if you would kind of talk things through with some people, you would get some more, you'd be able to see more possibilities. And so it sounds like at least you're a guy who recognizes that, which I think is a strength for you as a boss. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in when you can having a discussion around the table Mm -hmm. uh, to, to consider the different possibilities or the pros and cons of an idea, right? Like if I have an idea, um, if it's a small idea, I might just say, hey, we're going to do this. If it's a big idea, I'm going to be like, ooh, how would this be? How's this going to work? What, what, can we, what can we do? How can we get it on board? Um, yeah. I'm fortunate to work with a lot of younger faculty right now that aren't too tied to the past or hmm. tradition. Mm-hmm. I'm probably more tied to that than anybody else because I've been here longer than anybody else has. Um, but so they're, they're pretty open to new ideas, too. So we can, we can have that discussion 
in good and kind of profitable ways. Yeah. And then before. Yeah, you, you kind of, you talked about the balance between there are times where you have the time to build a consensus and to get input and, and have other people kind of shape the vision. But then there are also times where, hey, just a decision needs to be made and you need to move on. And as a leader, you can't be too passive. So to be able to kind of lean into both directions there, that's a good thing. So Yeah. One of my places where I'm working right now is to figure out when I need to just make the decision and <laughs> have us be done with it. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting a little more decisive as I sit in this chair over time uh, because I'm realizing there's certain times it's like, oh, we just don't need to talk about this. I just need to make a call and we need to. Right. To get on. So it's trying to pick those areas, though, where it's really beneficial for that conversation. So, so in a that, church context, though, you've got people who are in your music program because they want to be, not because they have to be. And so that's kind of a different interaction, or is it? Uh, it's a very different interaction. Um, it's also different because, like a Carson Newman, I ultimately report to, well, I report to a dean and through him to a provost and to a president. Um, but those people are above me mm-hmm. uh, in the chain of command and all, and if I mess up and they decide they want to fire me, that decision's coming from above. Mm. But in a structure, if, uh, if they really want to get rid of me for some reason, or if I'm going to be called on the carpet for something, or if I have messed up in some way, uh, that's just as likely to come from the congregation mm. or the people kind of, volunteers below me I'm working with or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. that, that, that kind of thing can, can bubble up from underneath you. Um, that's never happened to me, but, but you're always aware that it could. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a different, different world there. The, I try to recognize the fact that people are volunteers. Mm-hmm. I try to recognize that they are donating their time, right? And you try to be grateful for that and try to express that gratitude both individually and in group settings as I can to kind of affirm them and what they're doing. So in the choir, it's just a matter of times of saying we finished the Christmas cantata um, back in December. It went really well. We planned a kind of celebratory holiday potluck meal, uh, which we actually put on Epiphany. So we did that um, on the Saturday, uh, January 6th. Um, I had a nice meal, but it gave me a, a wonderful time again, because I'd already done it in choir practice, to talk to the choir and say, thank you so much for all the time you put into this. I'm so appreciative of the work you do and the, the good way we stay focused to, you know, create this kind of special worship event with our cantata this year. And we invited the sound people yeah. and the t- people who do the online streaming and the online sound and the sound in the congregation and do the pro-presenter projection things as a way of officially thanking them for that ministry that they have with us and the time they spend. So uh, I really enjoy that part of the job. I like saying thank you to people who are working hard and and doing well. That's a good thing, uh, the encouragement. And that's kind of a recurring theme of this show as as something— in leadership that is important to recognize what people are doing and to encourage them. Um, so that that's a blessing. I think when a leader is somebody who's comfortable communicating that, so that's cool. 
right. Yeah. So you, you talked about getting um, feedback and input and, you know, kind of accountability at Carson Newman from the people who are over you in the chain of command and in a church context from people in the congregation. And so I had a situation years ago as a college professor in Kentucky where I stopped a student after class and I said, hey, I noticed that you don't write anything down and I'm concerned about your plan for success in the course. Cause I was thinking this student is just gonna sit there and listen to me talk for five weeks. And then, you know, what's he gonna study? And so he's not taking any notes. And so he said, yeah, I thought about saying something to you about that. My last professor just taught straight from the book. So I listened to him talk about the book and then I go and read the book. Uh, and that worked really good for me. And so I noticed that you don't always follow the book. Uh, and so I was going to say, maybe you should think about, this student said to me, you should think about, you know, just going more from the history book. And so you know, I declined his suggestion. Uh, you know, I kind of figured, well, I've got a PhD in history, so I need to do more than just read a textbook to the class. I, I thought the idea was that I was trained in history and I was supposed to be bringing other stuff in because they could read the book on their own. And so what struck me, though, was I thought it was a little audacious for this young man to suggest to me after I'd spent years of training and years of teaching saying, ah, you know, you should do something completely different that's more convenient for me. And so it strikes me that sometimes people are really free with their suggestions. And they're like that some with teaching and preaching, but I think even more so in a church regarding the music. And so how do you handle that? Because you're a guy who's got a lot of training in music and you spent a lot of hours and years thinking about music ministry and you put time into coming up with the music. And so you got some people just popping off, you know, oftentimes based on personal preference, how do you handle such suggestions? Well, it's one of the challenges. I think this is a great question, Tim, because it is, it is a real challenge, especially what do you do with a suggestion you don't like? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I try, try, not sure I'm super successful. I try to affirm the possibility um, without making a firm commitment. Uh, ah. But I will, hmm. if, if somebody suggests something to me, right, I assume that there are probably other people in the congregation who may well have similar thoughts. And in the two churches I've served most recently, people don't give me a ton of suggestions. Mm -hmm. I, get, I get some, but it's not like a weekly occurrence. Mm -hmm. um, usually it's a, oh, I'd love it if we could sing this song, and I can say, oh, but yeah, I might be able to work that into a service sometime. Now, I will try to remember that person and what the song is, and when it comes up, if I can put it into a service, I'll, I'll do that, as long as I like the song and think it's appropriate. <laughs> um, but I will also call that person to say, oh, hey, I'm, I'm putting your song in the service this week. Thought you'd, thought you'd like to know that. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, it's... so I, I try to affirm them that way. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a, oh, my cousin's coming in town Sunday. Uh, could they sing a solo? Oh. And I have to say, service is planned. It's not going to work out. Uh, but sometimes I can say, hey, can you send me a video or something? I'd love to hear your cousin sing. And maybe we could work that out, uh, if not for this time, for a future future date. Hmm. You know, I, I try to work with people if I can, and I think it's an idea that I can, I can, I can work with. 
Well, that's, that's good that you try to be accommodating as far as you can. And it reminds me of something that my boss said at Walter State when I was the, the assistant dean and he was the dean. He would say repeatedly, we come from a place of yes. And I remember one time talking to a student on the phone who had a suggestion for something she wanted to do. And I thought, woof, that is not going to be practical at all. And as I'm explaining to her why this ain't going to work, all of a sudden I hear my boss, boss's words in the back of my mind. Um, we come from a place of yes. And so like mid monologue, I shifted to, well, you know, what we could do is, and I basically communicated to her, we can start down this road. There are a couple of things we can do. And then why don't we see when we get there, how things look. And so it was, it was a good job of coaching on his part that made me much more open to at least trying to work with people. And what I really like in what you said was that if you are going to do something that someone suggests that you get back to them on it, because a lot of people might consider yeah, about 80% church attendance pretty good. And it sure would be a shame if somebody suggested something and you went out of your way to make it happen. And that was the 20% of the time that that person wasn't there. So I think that's a really good policy. All right. Um, so there are a lot of things in, like in that that I liked. But there's one thing that I thought about, though. Have you ever gotten a suggestion and your first thought was, that's ridiculous. But then it turned out to be a great idea. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. I've got a very good example here. Although I'm not sure I thought it was ridiculous, but I didn't think it was going to work. <laughs> okay. Um, and you know, before we get into this, I, I do need to tell you, we're within one minute of a break and that was a very diplomatic save on your part because you could tell the story and the person could be listening and, and thinking, wait a minute, you thought my idea was ridiculous? I'm, I can't believe that. So that was very diplomatic on your part. So it wasn't a, a ridiculous idea. And if you don't have time to get into the full story before the break, um, then definitely I want you to get to it on the other side. So Oh, yeah, we I hear the music. All right, we are talking to Mark Hussung, who is not only the department head of music at Carson Newman University, but he's also uh, a minister at First Baptist Maryville uh, doing music. So we will be right back, and we appreciate your listening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking to Mark Hussung, Dr. Mark Hussung from Carson Newman University and First Baptist Maryville. 
And if you miss the first segment and then you listen to this one and think, wow, Mark Hussung is a brilliant guy. I want to hear all of this. You can go to wherever you get podcasts and uh, type in The Leading Edge with Dr. Tim Holder and you can listen to all of this interview or any of the others that we have done. And so, Mark, I'd asked you a question right before the break. Has anyone ever made you a, a suggestion like a church for regarding music or the music program? And you were skeptical about it at first, but it turned out to be a great idea. Yes, I've got a wonderful example. Early in my days at Emmanuel, I had a couple who were in the congregation come and say, you know, we were music majors at Carson Newman. One played flute, one played trombone. We kind of like to play our instruments along with the service. And I really wasn't overly excited about the idea, <laughs> uh, so I didn't move on it, because I didn't really think just a flute and a trombone would make much of a difference in the service. Those are kind of, not random, but they're, you know, it's not instruments you would typically think about pairing up together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came back to me again six, nine months later and said, you know, we really don't have any place where we can play our instruments on a regular basis. We teach all day, but we're not in any groups. Could we start playing along with the service? And I decided, sure, we can try that, see what it sounds like, um, see how it works, make that opportunity for them, and, and we'll, you know, we'll just see what happens. And it improved our service from the very first day. Wow, how about that? I didn't expect it, but the flute added this bright sound up high that we didn't have. The trombone was reinforcing kind of the bass line. I had him double the basses down there. And it was a better service from day one. And from that point, I had another guy in the congregation say, you know, I used to play trumpet. Could uh, I'm going to start practicing if that's okay. And then maybe I could start practicing with them, and maybe I could play along in the service too. And from there, we developed an instrumental ensemble. You you were at that church before. You probably got a chance to hear us. Yeah. Uh, At at times, you know, sometimes there were more, sometimes less. But at one point, I had two trumpets, two horns, two trombones, a tuba, three flutes, <laughs> and a clarinet or two. They were all playing along on the service. How about that? And, and they would do operatories from time to time. It, it enhanced the worship every day or huh. every Sunday. And, gosh, going into Christmas with the carols, it was glorious. Hmm. Oh, wow. Easter Sunday, we weren't hiring a musician to, to do the special things and cover the brass parts. We, we had them in-house that could do it. it. It was just a wonderful thing that happened in the worship life of that community, and one that I almost passed on. How about that? So, uh, so kudos to them for being persistent, and, well, and not giving up on the dream, but, you know, giving you time and not really doing a high-pressure kind of thing, but also, wow, and I mean, I love music, but I'm not, like, really knowledgeable about different instruments. And so as you're just bouncing those ideas off of me, I'm thinking, well, I could maybe, I guess, see where flute music would work in church, but a trombone? Uh, So yeah, I would have been skeptical, but that's really cool that you gave it a chance and because you were open-minded and because they were willing to serve and step up, that it turned out to be such a blessing for you three, for the whole church, for other uh, instrumentalists in the church. That's really cool. All right. And so I think that segues nicely into my next question because, you know, it was kind of your open mind and and being positive about giving it a try that helped it happen. And that is something I mentioned even in the first segment that I've known you for a long time, that you and I are friends. And one of the things that I have appreciated about you for many years is that you have a positive spirit. And I am curious, is that just how you're wired 
or were you inspired by someone else or maybe were you reacting against something? Where, where does your positive spirit come from? I find this a very interesting question, Tim. Thank you. Uh, because I'm not sure if I consider myself all that positive, hmm. but I was really happy to think that you did. <laughs> so, <laughs> this really pleased me. Well, you know, good. I'm generically in a good mood, so I am positive in that way, and mm-hmm. I tend to be pretty energetic. Mm-hmm. That's just my nature. I have a lot of lot of energy. People ask Reed about it sometimes. They're like, is he always this energetic? Uh-huh. He's like, yes, until he sits still for five minutes in the evening and then he falls asleep, you know? That makes sense. You're, yeah. you're running your system hard and then you slow down and you need to, need to recuperate a little bit. That's right. right. I, I turn it off. So, but actually, that positivity or positive energy, um, when I'm assessing how a church service went or how I did teaching a class, or how our performance went of some sort, um, I, I tend to be pretty... Critical? critical uh, in a what I hope is a productive and mm-hmm. constructive sort of way. Um, but, but anyway, so I've noticed that other people sometimes, when I'm working with them, they'll talk about how an event went, and they'll be like, oh, it was great, it was wonderful, it was so fabulous, all the things that happened. And I'm thinking... If I were describing that event, that's not at all how I would describe <laughs> it. Um, so, but I've learned that that kind of constructive criticism, even if it's inside my head, is important. Mm-hmm. But I also need to appreciate the good things that have happened mm. and the way things went. And that there are times when you're presenting things to other people mm. or relating things that you're really better off to stay with the positive right. more than the negative. You can recognize a little bit. But um, I, I try to be careful where where I put that um, critiques, those sorts of critiques. Yeah, yeah, uh, they're constructive, but but right. still, I try to be careful where I, where I land them. Yeah, you want to have high standards, and certainly for yourself, as you're looking at your own work, and you know, you want to do your best. Um, and so, as, and as a leader, it's a tricky thing because you want to encourage high standards in others. But again, we talked about encouragement and focusing on the positive and all of that. Uh, and so I, it's uh, when I I was talking to my wife Jill about this really just very recently, and I was talking to her about my natural disposition is fairly negative and crabby and cranky and all of that. And she said, "I just don't see you that way." And I said, "Thank you, and that's good." And I would like to think that that's um, thanks to the Holy Spirit. Uh, when I got to college, I began to recognize that I liked being around positive people. And I began to recognize that I was not one of those people. And so I, I have endeavored to focus more on the positive than, you know, what might be always natural or comfortable. And I actually had a, a boss who wrote something about me to someone else and referred to me as being relentlessly positive. And it was really a very touching thing for him to say because I esteemed him so highly and still do, but that he saw me that way after years of working with me. And so, you know, for you, Mark, uh, I do perceive you as a positive person. And that's one of the benefits that I have experienced from being your friend for so long is having that influence. Uh, You know, I think being around people who are strong in certain areas reflects on us. Uh, And I've, I've long been familiar with the idea that you are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. 
And for Mark and I, our schedules are pretty different. We don't see each other a lot nowadays, but I'm thankful for his influence on my life because I, like I said, Mark, I do view you as a positive person. And, you know, when, when you talk about yourself as kind of being reflexively positive and energetic, I don't know why, but it makes me think of the time that you tried to teach me how to do a headstand. Um, <laughs> and and I, I, just, I don't know, that, that's a cherished memory. Okay, so uh, I'm going to shift gears and, hard here. And, and, and Tim, I need to interrupt to tell the leaders or the listeners that, that you did it. Oh, well, right? we, we, we got you there. It took a little while, but we got you there. <laughs> and, and that's a, a charitable recollection of the events of uh, standing outside of a building at Carson Newman trying to prop my feet up uh, as I was trying to stand on my head. Okay, so a hard shift here. Is there a leader or a leadership theme in the Bible that really resonates with you? There, there are a few. And um, I, I really enjoyed thinking through this this question carefully and thoughtfully. The I heard a sermon as a youth growing up in my home church, and it was on Barnabas. Hmm. Uh, and the theme was, and Barnabas was a good man. It, it's hmm. in there. And it really resonated with me in a very powerful way. And I remember as a 14 or 15-year-old, 16-year-old uh, youth going, when as I grow up, I want to be a good man hmm. in that sort of vein. And some of it was his encouragement and work with other people. But, um, but I really set that as a, as a sort of a life goal. And anyway, so I hadn't thought about that in a while, but this question brought it back up, and I just wanted to throw it out there. Yeah. The, I have a couple thoughts. One, people sometimes say that Jesus leadership principles ran around discipleship and service and sort of community. And I certainly try to work on those three in my leadership and, and ministry with folks. I like being part of a community. I think it's important. I try to develop and work on the community in the groups that I lead. Um, and so I just finished a two-year stint as president of the Tennessee Music Teachers Association. This is a uh, organization of independent music teachers. There's college faculty. There's independent folks. Congratulations! Uh, it's one of the big professional organizations, especially for pianists. Although it's much broader than pianists because we have string people and voice people and brass people and all. But I worked hard, um, especially because we were coming out of the pandemic. As I served my two-year term, I worked in community there. But I do it at church with like this potluck dinner after the Christmas cantata was over and those sorts of places. I try to work it here at Carson Newman, too, among the faculty if I can. So that's, that's one. Um, I, I do appreciate and resonate with the idea of a service um, service leadership mm -hmm. and that you're serving people you work for. So that's, that's certainly there. You know, discipleship, um, I see in various ways. In the, in the church world, certainly, I, I work towards spiritual truths in the music and the texts we sing. And I like putting those out with people so they can resonate even more through their worship. So they're, they're thinking about the, the spiritual truths before we do singing or in the anthems. Um, but also, in my mind, part of discipleship is growing and developing people. If I think of it as a leadership kind of principle, um, in addition to the theological aspect. And I really enjoy that as chair of the music department here. I like helping the faculty I work with grow and develop in ways that I think is profitable and good for them. And so that's a, that's a consistent thing. So 
there are those. If there was something beyond that, though, I consider myself something of a visionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not brilliant at it, but mm-hmm. when I'm leading groups, I usually have a pretty clear vision of where I think we need to go next or mm-hmm. what's going to help the organization or group develop. And I try to keep my focus on that. And uh, that's one of the things I see in Moses. Hmm. He has sort of a clear mandate from God, and there's all these things around him that we're going to try to pull him away from that or distract him from that or deter him from that. Um, but part of his charge was to try to keep a clear focus on that. Mm-hmm. And I certainly pick that up as one of my leadership thoughts. I try to keep a clear image of where I think the organization needs to to go and needs to move and try to find ideas that will help propel us in that direction, but also just look for opportunities that will help move us in those sorts of directions as well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they come to you when uh, church members come and say, hey, we'd kind of like to play along with the service. Yeah. And you're thinking, yeah. you know, yeah. that would add something new and different to this service, wouldn't it? It would add a new dimension, and that would be good for us. Let's, let's do that. Yeah, there's a lot there. Uh, talking about Moses and like having the vision and sticking to the vision, it kind of reminds me of when I've had business people in here and we've talked about, um, you know, what is the mission statement and what are the core values and are you really following those or are you being distracted by other things? So there, there was really a lot of good leadership stuff there from Barnabas and Jesus and Moses. So we're coming on to another break, but we're going to have one final segment with Dr. Mark Hussung of Carson Newman University and First Baptist Maryville. We appreciate you continuing to listen, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back in just a moment. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking to Dr. Mark Hussung of Carson Newman University and First Baptist Maryville, and we're glad you're listening, ladies and gentlemen. Before the break, Mark was talking about uh, leaders in the Bible that really kind of resonate with him, and he talked about Barnabas being a good man, and uh, that struck me. And one of the things I liked about it is sometimes, oftentimes, as I answer that question about a leader from the Bible, I will mention Barnabas, and I was thinking about saying something different this week, just so you're not hearing the same things every week. And so a leader that I picked, something that I admire about him is I like the way that Paul in his letters says, hey, this is for me, Paul. And he names some other men who are involved in ministry with him. And what I like about that is him mentioning their names doesn't really help him in those churches, but it certainly helps them I would think it would help to establish their authority as leaders in the church. And so that has always struck me as something that Paul does that supports other men in ministry. And I just think that's cool that that's kind of a leader. One thing a good leader does is he helps to raise up other leaders. So that was cool. And then obviously um, seeing leadership from the life of Jesus and how he interacted with people um, I, I certainly think that there's, we could do a lot worse for a role model when it comes to leadership than looking at Jesus. So there was a lot of good stuff there. All right. So, uh, Mark, we only have a few minutes in this segment. And one thing I want to talk about, I mentioned in the first segment before you were on the air, uh, I talked about friendship and how people can be increasingly isolated 
And, and I'd mentioned to the listeners that I wanted to mention that with you because I feel that you're rather proactive about friendship. And you even alluded to this when, say, when saying you like to try to create community. And so I just thought that was kind of a cool thing. You're not somebody who says, you know, I, I wish for more relationships or deeper relationships. And then you just sit passively and hope. But you're a guy who tries to build that. And so how do you, how do, you do that? How do you create community? Well, I would see community as different than friendships necessarily. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, or in some ways. So for, for friendships, first of all, I value what friends add to my life. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I cherish the friends I have, and I work to keep and maintain those friendships. Mm-hmm. And uh, and listeners aren't going to know, but our, our friendship came through Carson Newman Connections here, and somewhere along the line, we developed a habit of eating lunch together once a semester, mm-hmm. right? So two or three times a year, and then I would see you at, at receptions for recitals and things. But two or three times a year, we would sit down purposefully to do it. Um, I maintain other friendships through phone calls from college friends and keep those. Uh, you know, I have started men's groups at my church a time or two when I felt the need for that sort of more constant accountability and friendship in my life and find a group of guys to get together with on a weekly weekly basis. Um, with, with, with community and other groups, I worked hard on community in the honors program. I ran the honors program here at Carson for 10 years. Right. I worked hard to develop a community there, which I did through social events and food, uh-huh. um, which works well for college students. Um, but it was it was important. Uh, the I do the same, honestly, with my choirs a bit. Finding times we can gather and function as a community outside of the weekly rehearsal time is important, I think, in that group. Although I also keep a weekly prayer time in that group, and that is helpful hmm. for bonding and creating community within that group. So they um, can encourage and support one another and kind of know what's going on in each other's lives. Okay. Uh, uh, okay. And so we, we're at less than two minutes, and so I, I don't want to cut you off, um, but I am reminded as you're talking of a German proverb, friendship is a plant that must often be watered. And so just to hear you talk, you, you say you value friendships, you cherish them, and you're proactive about them. And so I think in a world that is increasingly isolated, those are good traits. All right. So we're, we're at probably roughly a minute left-ish. And so, Mark, what is a question that you wish I had asked you, but I didn't? Oh, you know, Tim, you gave me questions I could ponder. I didn't ponder that one at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's I thought, funny. Okay. I, I thought your questions were great. Oh, um, well, thank you. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no, no worries. That's funny, though, because there were several questions that we didn't get to because the conversation has flowed so well. Um, so I will go ahead and throw one of these questions at you. All right. So we got one minute left, and we don't want to be braggy, but it's good to stop and remember the blessings that God has given us. What's the professional success that you are especially proud of? Uh, Carson Newman gave me the award for mentoring. Oh, wow. At one point. And it's when I was honors director, and they, they did it saying, you do this work with these students doing these big research projects and faculty working them through the process uh, every year, all 
so many of them outside of your discipline. And um, I was always really proud of that, that they thought I did a good job with that and wanted to recognize it. It was, it was a very nice and cherished honor. Well, that's great. I mean, wow, that certainly is an honor. And it's cool that it recognizes your relational strengths. So that's awesome. So for me, it was really cool to be able to give a commencement address at Walter State a few years ago. As a public speaker, that was just kind of a, that was a bucket list kind of thing for me to do a commencement speech. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Dr. Mark Hussung. Please tune in next week. We really appreciate you listening. Have a blessed day. You've been listening to The Leading Edge with Dr. Tim Holder. Be sure and tune in next week as we continue to talk about how to be a leader in a world of followers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.